All right, all right. Well, welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael, and uh, it's great to see you here this morning. One of the pastors, beautiful day, had a little cold front come in. That's always a little fun to kind of make you feel like it's winter in Texas. Uh, it doesn't last very long, so you got to enjoy it while you can. This morning, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can grab a Bible at the back if you don't have one. It's our gift. Or you can turn to page 90 in your devotional if you're new here this morning. We provide the messages for the whole year in that devotional. Turn to page 90, and you can follow along uh, and, 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 and write down things that, that God is speaking to you uh, during our, our time together. It's so good to see you. We're, we're continuing in our series called Yearly Rhythms. All right, we have uh, tablets. Uh, maybe, Kennedy, if you can get this one going on this side, that would be helpful. We have this uh, uh, yearly rhythms. Is, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a time of the year where we submit ourselves to the Lord, and, and, and we ask him to speak to us so we can plan out uh, the rest of uh, the year, right, under, under his will. And so the first Sunday, we talked about money, financial planning, our own personal finances. What does it look like to practically submit our finances to the Lord? And then last Sunday, we talked about uh, relationships, like our calendar, our, 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 our circle of network, right? right? How do you steward relationships in a God-honoring way and to, and to be intentional uh, about those uh, relationships, right? And I, I, I think it's possible that as we're talking about yearly planning, that there, there may be some of us in the room that are, that are geeked out, you know, rip-roaring, ready to go, right? And then there may be some of us that are just still like in a in a, in a numbness, right? I don't know. I just, I sense that, right? Just as a, as a culture, there, there's still like a malaise, right? About like, you know, just a fog of, you know, how, you know, what am I doing? You know, trying to remember, like just trying to do life again. And I, so I looked at, you know, the top songs of January, 2023. And, and I saw, I like, this isn't just something that's here in Austin or in North Village Church. Like there's this, there's a fog, there's a numbness uh, just in our, in our music. These are the top songs. These are three of the top ten. These are the popular songs that people are listening to in our country. One's called Escapism. Do you all know this song? I, I don't know any of these songs. Escapism. It's by a band or a person called Ray. His lyrics are, or her, I don't want to feel. This is a popular song right now. I don't want to feel. You're asking me my symptoms, doctor. I don't want to feel. That's the jam right now. People, tons of people around the country put that on. They love that song. Here's another one by Tisto, I don't know, called Lalo. This is just on Google. His lyrics, her lyrics, I feel high, I get high. I lay low with the sun, I get high, right? They're just wanting to check out from the difficulty of life. Here's another one. This is just the lyrics of everyone's favorite artist. See if you can recognize it. I should not be left alone to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. Who knows it? There's no Swifters here. Come on. I wake up screaming and dreaming. That's Taylor Swift, anti-hero. These are the popular songs right now, January 2023, that people are resonating with. And it's about checking out. Like, I get it. Maybe you're like type A. Like, no, I love, I got my planner. I'm all organized. But it looks like the majority of the country right now is resonating with numbness, right? Just checking out. And so the whole idea behind this yearly rhythms is that you find yourself in a place in life where you feel stuck, like the answer is to dream big and start small. 
dream big and start small, right? That we would submit ourselves to the Lord. We'd ask him to put desires on our hearts. And we would dream big about what the Lord might do in our life. Because every person in this room has God-given abilities, God-given talents, God-given purpose. And so that's what Yearly Rhythms is about. We submit ourselves to the Lord and we ask him to speak to us. So this Saturday, January 21st, we're going to get together. QR code. If you haven't registered, the deadline is this Wednesday at midnight. We're going to provide lunch. We're going to provide child care. We provide time. Right? This is not like a seminar where you listen to somebody. This is a time where you take that book and you just start working through some questions and start just asking yourself, Lord, what are you doing in my life? In these key areas of life, I, I encourage you right now, every one of us, if you're planning to come on Saturday, start praying now. Lord, speak to me. Speak to our family. Give us a sense of what you're doing in our life. Help us to dream big and start small. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of celebrating. Right? I wish I could tell you that you dream big, you start small, believe in Jesus, and everything works out. Right? But that's just not the case. Life is hard. Right? Sometimes you can do all the right things and life is still hard. And so God's word teaches us to celebrate. Right? We don't want to passively celebrate. We want to intentionally celebrate. Like take the year of 2023, all 12 months, and start to build celebration into our year. And that's what God's word is going to teach us this morning. Um, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. During the pandemic, trying to help you out, I would, uh, I, I'd break the message into, into three points. But, man, we just need to dig into God's word. So let's just jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. I'll read. You follow along. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and confetti falls from the sky, a time to dance. No? No Footloose fans? Okay. Kevin Bacon, right? This is God's Word, chapter 3. We're, we're reading God's Word. You might be in a place in life where you're like, I don't know who to trust anymore. I, I feel like that's kind of in our, in our nation right now. Like, we've lost all confidence of who do I trust, right? Media has led us astray. Politicians lead us astray. Family members have led us astray. So they're like, what is true? God's Word. God's Word is true. This is trustworthy, this is something we can rely on. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Old Testament is history, poetry, prophecy. I know it's that really white part of your Bible you don't often look at. History, poetry, prophecy. The history of Israel, poetry, poetical writings like Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, and then prophecy. Major prophets, minor prophets. Well, Ecclesiastes in that poetical section. You're going to see a lot of similes, a lot of metaphors, right? And it's written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon is, is the son of King David. Man, he's writing wisdom at the height of Israel's influence around the world. And, and God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. Can you imagine can you imagine the God of Scripture coming to you one day and say anything you want? Like imagine the things that you could ask for. You could ask for money, right? Have all the money. 
right? If you wanted Billie Eilish to sing you a lullaby, bam. Nate Bargatze come tell you a joke, bam. You had all the money. You could just pay. You could do that. You wanted intelligence like Elon Musk did SpaceX. You do Space Y and Z just to show them up, right? I don't know. Like you could have that. You could have all the power. That's what Solomon could have had all of that, and he asked for wisdom. So Ecclesiastes is a collection of his wisdom. And then chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, you see language, poetical language like a time to kill, heal, tear down, build up, war, peace, love, hate, right? You might be familiar. This is a song out of the 60s. Every season, turn, turn. No? All right. All right. Well, Solomon didn't write this to be a song. He's not writing these words to be pretty. He's making an observation on life that life is exhausting. He's making the observation that life is hard. People are born, and then you die. Welcome to North Village Church. Like, that's going to happen with every one of us. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be very, very exciting. It might be 99 when you die. We don't know. But at some point, like, excitement, and then we're going to go to a funeral, right? You're going to have peace, and then there's going to be a war. Just wait. If you wait long enough, there's going to be a war. You're going to fall in love. Relationships break up. What happened? You used to get goosebumps when you touched each other's hands. And now you can't stand to be in the same room with that person. Like, what happened? The stock market goes up. You remember like a year ago when we were like rich? We were like, we were trying to get rich, and we were all like, I'm so wealthy. I don't know what to do with all my money. And then now the stock market is down, and we're poor again. It goes up. It goes down. That's life. Have you noticed that? Like the, That's the hardness of life. You have to keep working at life. You say, I feel a little tired. Yeah, because life is hard. Like you can't just put it on cruise control and everything will work out, right? Right? You can't go to the gym. Everybody's excited about working out in January. You can't work out really hard in January and that carry you the rest of the year. You have to work out every week for the rest of your life. What? What? That's so weird. Right? You can't just clean your room. Teenagers, mom and dad say, clean your room. How long does that last? Like a day? A couple of days? And then you have to clean it again. That's all of life. That's all of life. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's what he's, he's making the observation. And jump down to verse 9. He says, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. In verse 9, Solomon asks, what's, what's the profit? He's saying, what's the point? What's the point? Right, teenagers, you should resonate with Ecclesiastes. Like, why am I learning calculus? What's the point? What, what, what am I, what am I, where am I going to use this? Why am I learning uh, this gr- grammatical? What? What's the point of doing? Why? That's, what he's, that's all of life in verse 10. He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. You see that in verse 10? That phrase, the task? See, the task? That's the responsibilities in life. The task? The changing the diaper? Doing the laundry? Changing the oil? Doing that assignment, accomplishing that goal, getting that pipe fixed. It's just over and over. Why? Why are we doing these things? It never ends. I'm a 
I've been working as a pastor vocationally in a church since I was 24 years old. I'm 48 years old today, you know, so that's a chunk of time. So lately, getting near my 50s, I've been thinking to myself, like, what's the point? Like, what am I doing with my life, right? I mean, it's a blessing to get to be a pastor. I get to teach the Bible. I get to talk to people about Jesus. I get to get involved in the, in the messiness of life with people. I love it. It's a gift. Love it. But sometimes, what? Like, sometimes people are very excited about God's word. And then sometimes they're not. I mean, sometimes you can say things, and they're like, bam. And you're just like, wow, how'd that happen? And then sometimes it's just like crickets. You know, like, sometimes you, 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 you talk to people about Jesus. They're very receptive. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes people take those steps. Sometimes they don't. It's like, what's the point? What are we doing? Like, that's not just my role as a pastor. That's in every role in life. It's hard over and over. When you're young, you guys are young. This doesn't mean anything to you. You're so excited and optimistic about life, teenagers, so hopeful, so hopeful about your career. Like, you think your career is going to really, like, that's, that's what's missing. Like, as soon as you get to your career, that's what's going to, like, oh. So, I mean, I don't want to shatter that for you. I'm sorry to do that to you th this morning. But, like, it's not going to do it. It's good to work. It's godly to work. But that career is not going to fill that emptiness in your life. Right? Our older people, they know that. They know that. Our family, we've been fostering a seven-year-old uh, boy. And in six months, he's had three different uh, social workers. Three different caseworkers. I'm not blaming them, but that's three different people who like, I'm going to go be a social worker. Three different, they went to college. They're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help kids. They were excited. I'm going to get involved with families that are broken. I'm going to help fix the system. Mm. <laughs> In six months, they're like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore because it's hard. Right? Teachers. How many teachers have been out there and they're like, I'm going to teach the children of the future. <laughs> and then they get into it. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. That's in every career because it's not going. And it's not just career. It's in romance and relationships also. We think that that spouse, we watch those movies. And we're like, I want that. And then what happens? That's in every area of life. There's just a breakdown. So Solomon's asking that point, what's the point? What's the prophet? Look at verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. In verse 11, we see the answer to the question. He starts off, what's the point? He makes the observation, life is repetitive. Why do we even bother? Verse 11 answers the question. Look at it. Do you see it? Highlighted it. He set eternity within the heart of humanity. There is poetry. It's poetical. Right, that phrase, he set eternity within the heart of humanity. Solomon's making the observation. It's a, it's a callback to Genesis 1 and 2, right, that, that, that we're made in the image of God. Male and female, he created us both so that his fingerprints are all over us. It's what sets us apart from the rest of 
creation, that we're made in the image of God. His fingerprints, it's a poetical reference, it's a poetical callback that he set eternity in the hearts of every human being, that somehow that we're, we're born into this world, we encounter incredible difficulty, hardship, right, repetitive frustrations, and we keep going. It's what sets us apart from the rest of creation to have this, this perseverance to, to keep working at life. And it's, it's not just today. It's every human being throughout all of history or around the world like, has this innate desire to persevere through the hardships of life. Isn't that amazing? You take like a toddler. I mean, they were a baby. They were crawling. Life was good. They got food. They could get mobility where they wanted to go. And then at some point in life, they thought to themselves, I'm going to try walking. And they're not good at it. They were better at crawling. And that toddler just skins their knees and somehow we start walking. Why do we do that? Why would we take that on ourselves? Why would we not just keep crawling? Teenagers, you go to school, people make fun of you. Why would you not just stay home? Just stay home and never leave your bedroom again. But you don't. You're like, my parents wouldn't let me. All right. But at some point, even if they did let you, at some point you would open that door and you would start walking back into the world. There's just an incredible perseverance. And that's true for all of humanity. Like we don't just seek the least to get by. We always want to improve. We always want to make things better. We, we don't just seek a shelter. We make a home. Like that, that's true throughout all of humanity. You go to caves. Look at the walls. They put up pictures. They want to make a home. They wanted to decorate. They just didn't want to have a roof over their head. They wanted, to, they wanted to make it better. Even the homeless people on the street, mental illness, there's still a part of them that says, maybe we need an end table. You ever seen that? You're like driving past the corner intersection. They're like, they got an end table, like with a centerpiece. Like what is, like, it's just innately in them to make things better. And that's consistent throughout all of human history. Why? Because he said eternity in our hearts. Because we have the fingerprints of God all over us as human beings. Young people, listen to me. I know your schools are teaching you we're just animals. Maybe you believe that. We all descended from some microbes, you know, became a fish, became a monkey, and now we just happen to be walking around, right? And they're like, see, we're all the same. That's what they'll teach you. They'll teach you that animals and human beings, we're all just animals. We're all the same. You watch some PBS special, elephants mourn. See how they mourn, we mourn. We're all the same. They talk about chimpanzees, their genetic sequence of their DNA is 96 the same as a uh, 96% the same as a human being. Like, see, it's all the same. All right. I'm not saying there's like totally different, but that 4%, it's a big difference because you don't see the same pattern in chimpanzees. You don't see chimpanzees organizing a union, right? You don't plan it of the apes, right? Creating a hierarchy and establishing a government. You just don't see it. Right? I mean, it'd be awesome. I'd love to see it. It doesn't happen. You don't see beavers improving their dams. It's the same dam over and over. Right? You don't see like Charlie looking at the dam going, you know what, Fred? If you took that log 
stay with me. If you took that log and you positioned it, you could turn that into a multi-level high-rise and maybe sell it and make a profit. Like, you just don't see that, right? You don't see beavers doing that. You don't see birds working on their tricks. Like, you know what? The aerodynamics, like, Sally would be so impressed if you were to take that up to about that height and then drop it. Like, dude, I think you would totally win her over. Like, you just don't see that. Why? Because human beings and animals are not the same. We're set apart. That's what Genesis teaches us. Human beings are set apart from the rest of creation. We're, we're, we're imbued with his fingerprints. We're made in the image of God. He set eternity in our hearts. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. Look at that. He says, I know there's hardness in life. There's this perseverance to keep going. So how do we navigate that as human beings? What's the wisdom there? To see good. Like if you just stopped with verses 1 to 11, Ecclesiastes would be very depressing, right? You would like, I don't want to ever come back to this church again. But it doesn't end. He says, to look for the good. Do you see that? To see good in all your labor. It is the gift of God to look for God's goodness in your life. To see the good. It's not going to happen naturally. If you're sitting here today and you're like, well, you must be one of those optimistic people, you know, who's like always positive. Like, are you one of those like half full? No. No, I'm not. I'm very pessimistic. I'm very skeptical, very cynical. I'm all like, it's probably not going to work. I don't even know why we try it. Like, that's, my, that's my natural response to life. But God's word indwells me with the Holy Spirit and then calls me to obey his word, to trust his word. And so what that means is I intentionally, in obedience to God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, look for the good. You look for the good because life is hard. And I should clarify, when it says see the good in all his labor, you know, eat and drink, it's not talking about drunkenness. You know that. It's not talking about gluttony, sexual immorality, edibles, right? Life is hard, so just numb yourself. No, it's, it's intentionally looking for God's gift of grace in our life. So that you would plan to do that. That, that, that we would plan to build a rhythm of celebration into our day, week, and month so that we would rejoice that there's oxygen that we're breathing in right now. Do you know that's a gift? You didn't provide the oxygen. It's, it's because of God's grace that when you inhale, there's oxygen. It's not true on every planet. What a gift we have, right? Rejoice. It's God's grace. You woke up this morning. Eight billion people in the world. Some people did not wake up this morning. You did. We did. Rejoice. Praise God. Are there hard things in life? Yeah. No surprises there. So look for his goodness and rejoice. Build that. Discipline yourself in obedience to God's word to look for his goodness. I mean, most of us got into a car and drove down Mopac going 70 miles an hour, and you arrived here safely. By God's grace, 
In our arrogance, we think, well, I kind of did that. I mean, I had my hand at 10 and 2, right? Like, are you kidding? Like, you didn't build that car. Like, you didn't control the other cars around you. You didn't decide the PSI in your tires at that rate of rotation would arrive you here. That wasn't you. That's God's grace. It's God's grace that we walked in here this morning. And so build that pattern into your life of rejoicing. That's why Saturday is so important. If you're not coming on Saturday, I don't know why not. Like, life is too hard. You you probably want to say to yourself, well, I'll do that on my own. You won't. That's why gyms make a ton of money, because people don't work out on their own. They need to be around other people. And so you want to hear, like, what are you doing? How do you celebrate? It'll make you a better person. And so come. We provide childcare, lunch. Why would you not? So you got to go to that QR code. Build it into your life. Teenagers, I would come if I were you. I started doing this when I was 18 years old. I know you don't feel the need to do it because you're young. You're still hopeful and optimistic about life, right? People still celebrate your accomplishments. Oh, you graduated kindergarten. That was amazing. You, you, got, you got a job. Yay. You got married. People will give you presents. That's great. Our culture does that till about the age of 30. And then it stops. And nobody celebrates you again, right? I mean, unless you, like, overcome cancer, we'll celebrate that. But for the most part, you're going to go another 50 years through the hardship of life. And so you have to discipline yourself in obedience to God's word and celebrate. In my life, practically, that's what we're doing. We're looking at 2023. We got an 18-year-old senior. Lord willing, she'll graduate from high school, and we will celebrate her. (laughs) We'll celebrate her. I didn't mean that as a negative. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're going to celebrate. 15-year-old, Lord willing, going to get a driver's license this year in 2023. Watch out. Watch out. Driving down the road. That's going to be exciting. We want to celebrate that. Lord willing, we have a 7-year-old foster son. Lord willing, the plan is all along. To, to reunite him with his biological family. Man, we want to celebrate that. We don't want to, like, passively. We want to plan for that. Like, we know these dates are coming. June 5th, my wife and I, Lord willing, will celebrate 24 years of marriage. Uh, why would we not start thinking about that now? Right? I mean, why would we wait till June 4th? Why would we do that? Why would we June 1st? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got an end. We should probably do something. You want to you wanna, you wanna, like, go out to eat? Like, uh... <laughs> My wife will celebrate a birthday in March, be 26 years old. We'll celebrate that. <laughs> right? You can make sure you're listening. Right? It doesn't mean it doesn't have to be like a ballroom. I know some of people will be like, oh, I mean, I got to get confetti to fall from the sky. Like, how do I? It do, it, it's great. Do the ballrooms and the confetti and the balloons. And like, if you want to spend a bunch of money, you can. There can also be very simple ways you celebrate. I mean, God's word teaches us to celebrate by praying before a meal. Right? Do you know that's why we pray before a meal? It's not Southern. You know, you're not like, it's cursed if you don't pray, like God's going to get you if you don't pray. No, Romans 1 teaches us to to pray in thanksgiving to his provision. And so as a meal comes before us, we pause. We say, let's, hey, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Somebody planted some seeds, right? 
I didn't, I didn't do it. Somebody planted some seeds or grew some food in a lab. I don't know how they do it now. Right? Somebody did a lot of work. And then, and then somebody put it on a truck, and then somebody drove it on a truck to a, a grocery store, and the, somebody operates a grocery store. Somebody hired a cashier. Somebody you know, got it from the grocery store to my house. Somebody got in the kitchen. Somebody made a meal. I just walked up and sat down, and food magically appeared. Why would we not say thank you for that? Thank you, Lord. And just build that pattern of, of thankfulness in our lives. And what our family does is we go throughout the year, and then at the end of the year, we have this memory jar. And we're putting these, these moments of celebration in this memory jar. We go to La Madeline, right? We're fancy. We sit by the fire, and then we go through our memory jar. And, and, and a lot of times we forgot, so we have to pull out our phones, and we go back and we look at pictures. And we're like, oh, yeah, I forgot the Lord's goodness. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember his goodness. And he's so good. There's still many things. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. I forgot. I forgot because he's so good. And you would start to build that into your life every day. Men, you've got to lead out in this area. Common pushback. I hear men say, like, well, this is, this, is what, this is what the women do, right? It's what the ladies do. It's what my wife does. I, no, no, no. Don't. No, no. Embrace it. Think of yourself like a coach who's gathering the troops and just recounting the Lord's goodness. Like your family needs you. Men, your family needs you to speak up. You do it however you want. You can do the memory jar. You can figure out another way. Figure out a way to find ways to capture the Lord's goodness, to see his goodness. Let's end with verses 14 and 15. We'll end with Jesus. 14 and 15 says this. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Verse 15 is a little hard to read in that translation. Here's another translation. It's a little easier. That which has been already and that which has already been look at it for god makes the same things happen over and over again look at that verse 15 for god makes the same things happen over and over again sit in that god makes the same things what verse 15 is teaching is that God has organized life in such a way, right, that, that, that in the hardness of life, in this unusual perseverance, right, this unusual set eternity in our hearts, that we somehow, we don't give in to the hardness, that we somehow keep showing up, that God has organized life in such a way that those things happen over and over and over and over and over again as a means of grace to draw us to himself. Did you hear that? If you're frustrated with the hardness of life, the repetition, the frustration of the toil, like you need to know God's not torturing us. He's not absent. He's not uninvolved. He's organized life in his wisdom, in his grace, in such a way that that's happening intentionally so that we would collapse under the fatigue of life, and we would reach out to him, right? Like a, 
like a little toddler. This is what we do as parents, right? As they go from crawling to trying to walk, they get frustrated. You ever seen a toddler try to walk? They get frustrated, right? They're, they're teetering. They don't like it. And at some point, the fatigue of learning to walk angers them. They start crying, and they reach out. Like, come and get me. I'm tired of doing this. That's exactly what's going on in God's word. In his wisdom, in his grace, that he's, he's allowed that to happen over and over and over. Some of us, some of us quickly, Lord, help me. <laughs> For some of us, we're stubborn. It takes us a little longer. We convince we can do it, but for all of us, eventually, we reach out to him. Now, it's possible you could push back. You're like, well, why did he do that? Why didn't he just make life perfect? Right? Why, why, did he, why did he make life hard? Why didn't he make life easy? You need to know he did. It's Genesis 1 and 2. He created life to be perfect, but we rejected that. Adam and Eve, as our representative for humanity, rejected his goodness so that sin entered the equation and life is hard. And you can say, well, that's frustrating. I'm not Adam and Eve. Why do I have to suffer for their, for their, for their disobedience? I wouldn't have rejected God's goodness. I would have embraced it. Would you? Would you? Do you? Like, is God not good to us over and over and over, and yet we miraculously find the one thing he didn't do, and we're like, you suck. Right? Why didn't you do that, God? Don't you care? All these other things. Like, we would do no different than Adam and Eve. Right? He made it to be perfect. We rejected that. And so he organized life in such a way, under the fatigue of the hardship, we reach out to him. Didn't we see that illustrated a couple of weeks ago in the NFL? Right? The football player goes to tackle somebody. This weird event where he collapses on a field, ambulance comes out, CPR. Uncontrollably, how do people respond? They fall to their knees instantly, right? On the field, they fall to their knees. They start praying. Who are they praying to in that moment? Maybe they don't even know in the stands, network television, in homes across the country, overwhelmed, what? We pray, fall to our knees, right? Don't even know who, but God's word tells us who. It's him. And the reason we're reaching out is because the fingerprints, whether we acknowledge him or not, you can reject him. Fingerprints are on you. And in, in the hardship of life, we're going to reach out for him. And he's not some distant, unknown, uninvolved God. He's very much involved. He's watching it all unfold. He sees the toil and frustration of life, and he does the unthinkable, right? He does the unthinkable. He steps out of the heavens, and he enters into the toil and frustration of our world. Not even his toil and frustration. It's our toil and frustration. His name is Jesus. He lives a perfect life, and then he takes our frustration, our toil, our hardship, our death at the cross, takes it dies for it, and conquers it. He conquers our frustration in the resurrection so that by grace, through faith, we would call on him and we would be reconciled to our heavenly father. We would be returned to those fingerprints, to home, that we would go home and we would celebrate, eternally celebrate. That's the gospel. 
Listen, if you've never responded to Jesus, you need to believe in Jesus today. Like confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he did conquer the greatest frustrations of life. And there is, there is goodness in him. Won't you do that this morning? We'll have people to pray for you at the back. Like if you don't know what that means, like come talk to me. Come talk to them. But do believe in Jesus today because we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus, the goodness that he's done in our lives. Right, so our elders, you can come forward. Our musicians, you come forward. But what, what, what communion is, is, is the body and, and, and blood of Jesus being broken and poured out so that through faith, we are invited into a meal. Right, and if you have faith in Jesus, then you come forward. But if you haven't yet to believe in Jesus, then we ask you to hold off. But we ask you to know. If you're holding off, if you're hesitating to believe in Jesus, then on some level, you've convinced yourself that you can take on the frustrations of life on your own. And you don't need to. You don't need to. He never intended you to. He organized life in such a way that you would reach out to him. So I encourage you to do that. If you do it today, then come forward. Will you close your eyes? bow your head.